Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side. We are a podcast for the Film Stage website. And here we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we have fun with some pronunciation. <laughs> we talk about our favorite Irish lass, Saoirse Ronan. Um, and we talk about her with... Our favorite film stage show person, <laughs> last but not least, last gotta but be a, gotta be a lie, gotta be a lie. <laughs> last, last but first, Bill Graham is with us. Like I said, he is uh, one of the one of the three amigos of the film stage show, which is the the primary, the first, the flagship podcast show. Our first home, really. Uh, our first home. Yeah, and it's funny, I guess, of three now, right? Because Michael has his new, what's it called? His new thing <laughs> yeah. he does. What's it called? Intermission, I think. What's it called? Intermission. Intermission. Um, yeah, Michael. I'm sorry. If I you're believe it's I'm called. sorry. I fucked. If I no, fucked no, that it's up, new. But, it's okay. Yeah. I think it is called the intermission. We love Michael. We love Mike Snydell. We love uh, Brian Rowan, obviously, and we love Bill. Bill, how you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Can't complain. So you're in Dallas. I'm yes. in Pittsburgh, and Connor is in um, Queens. New York, yeah. Queens. So it's a very, I think, in terms of American metropolises, it's we're covering a lot of ground. I think, which is nice. And, um, uh, and, and I mean, it's, you know, to, to your point, Dan, you said favorite Irish lass, but she is in fact American. What do you mean? Go she, elaborate on that. Yeah. She's got a, um, she's got a, uh, she, like a Mel Gibson situation. So okay, she was, keep going. she was, <laughs> she was born in New York. And then when she was three, Moved, I moved to did Dublin. not know that. Yeah. At there least, and look, there I mean, to, to, to be news. fair, to be fair, Wikipedia. So, uh, you know, take that, <laughs> wow, so, take okay, that okay. with a grain of salt. Okay. I got I, I a I bone to pick real quick, though. Wikipedia uh -oh. has, has a lot of, like, bad reputation from the old days. If you've tried to edit anything on Wikipedia lately. That's true, uh, it's, actually. It's nearly impossible. So Yeah, no, you you're know, right. You it's become a way, I think, way more reliable resource. Uh, you're definitely right about that, Bill. But no, you're right. So, in, so if you don't know, listener, you probably do know, but. The Mel Gibson reference is in, is to the fact that Mel Gibson was born in Peekskill, New yep. York, which is kind of near where Connor's from, kind of near where I'm from, kind of in between where we're both from, actually, um, just north of New York City. And his dad, like, left because he was like – he was almost like Ali Fox from the Mosquito Coast, Connor, which yeah. is from our Harrison yeah. Ford B-side. Yeah. He was this kind of radical dude who was, like, tired of America. And he's like, you know what? I'm from Australia. I don't like it here anymore. I'm taking the kids and yeah. we're going. And they moved to Australia, you know, when he was like, whatever, three, when Mel was like three. And um, that's why he had the Australian accent. But then that's also in a way why the accent kind of went away, of course. Right. So so it's kind of funny. Um, I did not know that about Saoirse. Wow. So she's technically American. So she's an American citizen then. Yes, indeed. Indeed. I mean, she's got a deep Irish accent. Yeah, like, I she would, does. You would, frankly, does. you would never know. Like, I, I always, she's the one for me, you know, I'm half Irish and half Italian. Um, my wife is mostly Polish with a little of Italian. Her last name is Fitzpatrick. So you'd think, you know, there's Italian in there, or sorry, there's Irish in there rather, um, but not as much as you think. Um, but I always, 
when I hear Sersha talk in like late night interviews, I'm always like, oh, I love that accent. I love that. It's like her and Colin Farrell are like very, mm-hmm. and they, and we will, we will, it's a relatively good segue to our first movie, as a matter of fact, yes, unintentional. Uh, they were in The Way Back Together, which is, of course, as Ben Affleck plays a coach who is struggling with alcoholism. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Sergio Ronan and, uh, and Colin Farrell also in it. If you've seen it, you know. No. Um, <laughs> so I guess before we jump into it, um, is there anything else we want to say about Sersha? I mean, mm-hmm. she's a younger movie star. And I, I think I, even... The right youngest, on the fringes of movie stars. She's twenty six. I would yeah. say I would say she is because I feel like she's immediately recognizable. I also yeah. would I also would argue that she is a kind of a uh, you know a value proposition when you see a trailer for a movie in terms of like oh I like her she's right, good she's at, a value she's, add yeah yeah and so and so you kind of are just you know at least for me anyway I would say um, now. Bill, let me ask you, why did why do you like Sersha? Because I think we were talking, we wanted to get you on because obviously, you know, we love the Film State show and we wanted to to uh, to close the loop, as it were, and make sure we we talk to all of our favorite uh, Film State show people. So, what what was it about Sersha that made like that made you think, oh, I want to talk about her? Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Point blank. Uh, I absolutely adore that movie, and she's she's the highlight of it. Um, but I, I just think she's such a fascinating actress because, you know, I, I could compare her in a lot of ways to someone like Jennifer Lawrence, who had a lot of success very early in, in their careers and has stayed in the movie business, um, stayed very active. Lawrence has obviously made a lot of like big budget, like big tentpole films. And Sersha has had some swings at that but she's just one of those people uh, my fiance were and i were watching uh one of these movies over this this last week and she just turned to me and she was like she's been in a lot of movies i was like yes she has been in quite a few movies and i think she started in i think it was mm, 97 uh and what was that? Was that um, yeah, so Atonement? O- yeah, so, 07 was Atonement. Right? Yeah, so 07 is Atonement where she gets nominated, right? She yes. plays uh, Bryony, Briony, Bryony Tallis, right? Um, the Joe Wright movie. 07's mm-hmm. also in a, she's in a movie called Death Defying Acts with Catherine Zeta Jones and Guy Pierce, directed by Gillian Armstrong, who oh, wow. directed the 94 Little Women, which is funny to think about. Um, and Death Defying Acts, I saw at the Toronto Film Festival with our buddy Jordan Raup, because we were going to college in Buffalo. Connor also went to Buffalo. And me and Jordan, this is, I think, before the film stage, as a matter of fact. We just bought tickets to Toronto Film Festival premieres, and one of them was Death Defying Acts. Movie barely came out, and it's basically, it's definitely a, you know, a B-side, where I think Sersha plays Catherine Zeta-Jones' daughter, and it's this... <laughs> It's this semi-fictionalized, semi-true uh, uh, piece of Harry Houdini's life where he like has a romance with this uh, this con artist who is Catherine Zeta-Jones. And yeah, Cersei is her daughter. And it kind of, you know, it didn't get, I, as, I, as I recall, it didn't get amazingly well-received at Toronto. 
I remember liking it fine, but I mean, what did I know? That was, you know, I was however old. I mean, I was, you know, 18 or sure. something. Um, but that was the same year, Atonement. And then even the Amy Heckerling movie that I think came up on one of our cinephile game nights, I Could Never Be Your Woman with Michelle uh, Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd. Uh, she's in that, but that movie never really came out. That You can like, buy that movie on DVD. But I, I just saw Mecca squint and remember that pull that out of the air <laughs> that was amazing hey man i do you know i i, I do what I, I do what i can so but you're right uh bill oh seven is you know she comes out like a like a bullet right because in it, mm-hmm. she gets nominated for atonement you know so um it's 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 funny because that and lovely bones so so you know in in essence her big breakout roles or breakout kind of uh I don't I wouldn't even say necessarily star making but like that's when she started gaining uh notoriety and attention right, right? I mean obviously a, a best supporting actress uh for like one of her you know first few handful of films that's impressive I would, yeah but i haven't seen either one of them oh really have you, you have not seen atonement no you should, I've you never should, seen you should check it out them. you should check it out yeah i've, I've well, heard good things about it i've heard mixed things about uh lovely bones i have i have the book sitting on my counter somewhere uh but yeah haven't yeah, seen yeah i mean so atonement is uh, i think i was just saying this to somebody uh, oh yeah i was talking it's funny enough i was talking to michael snydell on twitter about this atonement is one of my absolute favorite books ever. Ian McEwen is a favorite uh-huh. author of mine. Um, oh, and also a connection. He wrote the screenplay and he wrote the novella for On Chisel Beach, which is one of our B-sides, which I will uh, tell you our four B-sides in a moment. But yeah, um, Atonement's great. Uh, the Lovely Bones, obviously not so much. Didn't get as well received. That comes out in 09, I believe, and mm-hmm. is kind of a disappointment um, in general. Not really a B-side because it was pretty well covered. City of Ember in 08, however, if you remember, was this weird, fairly big, is $55 million budget Was that with movie. Bill Murray? Yeah, Bill yes. Murray's yeah. in it. Yes. Like, Martin Landau's in it. Like, and it's it was a huge flop. And mm-hmm. just obviously a movie that's totally, like, Tom Hanks, his production company, Playtone, produced it. Gary Gottsman, his, uh, his uh, producer produced it like and it was a total flop which is funny to even think about but yeah so the next movie after the lovely bones also kind of flops and lovely bones she plays Susie salmon she plays the lovely bones i mean literally i mean honestly she, she plays does. that salmon girl that, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah that salmon girl right yeah. um our first b-side is the way back in 2010 the peter weir film and then while we're here i'll just mention our our other three are uh, 2013's The Host, written and directed by Andrew Nichol, based on a Stephanie Meyer book. Remember her, Twilight. Um, Byzantium, which ultimately came out in 2013, directed by Neil Jordan, the uh, his Neil Jordan's other vampire movie, and um, <laughs> On Chisel Beach, ultimately in 2017, directed by Dominic Cook, who made his follow-up movie called The Courier, which I saw in at this year's Sundance, where it turns out. I was surrounded by people with coronavirus. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but going back to the way back, um, I think this is a good opportunity to say that Peter Weir is one of our finest filmmakers. Uh, he's still alive. This is to up until this point, 
in May 2020, the last movie he's made, The Way Back, 10 years ago. That's crazy to me that he hasn't made a movie in 10 years. And what's crazier, Connor, is the movie he made before this movie was seven years before this. Yeah. In 03, which was Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, which is one of the best movies ever made, one of my favorite movies. I've seen it a million times. I literally, it took everything in me to watch the host for this podcast instead of putting on my copy of master commander <laughs> after watching the way back. But you know what? I'm a man of my word. Yeah. We love this podcast. We love our fans. And that's why I did it. God damn it. But, um, Bill, what do you, so Peter, where do you like, have you seen master and commander? Do you have any sort of affinity for any of his, he did like your Lear living dangerously Gallipoli. I'm trying to think of Truman other, show dead poet society. Uh, I mean, I, like a lot of people, I, I definitely saw Master and Commander and don't remember a single moment of it. Sure. Um, it, I remember the Truman Show. Um, right, which, which funny enough, Andrew Nichol wrote, Nickel, yeah. who would then write and direct the host. So that's a connection mm-hmm. there. Um, I, I've never seen Dead Poets Society. That one that one has uh, Robin Williams. And is it... Is it... Uh, Young no, Ethan. it's not... Go oh, okay. E- e- Ethan, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it's a few different actors. Young Ethan Hawke, young Robert Sean Leonard. It's a bunch of young men. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. and then uh, Robin Williams is is their like progressive teacher at a mm-hmm. conservative boarding school thing. <laughs> so so one of my reputations is that I uh, I shamefully have not seen a lot of movies. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of like little blank spots where, you know, uh, maybe an actor's like big like breakthrough roles or things like that it's i mean I, I already spoiled it like i haven't seen atonement and i haven't seen the lovely bones so there you go like i i missed i missed the boat but uh you know i i, I guess i caught the train i don't know how that metaphor can work but yeah well but, but you know but you're kind of you know to the point of this podcast though you're kind of right brooklyn i think is more of her star turn though sure than anything else like when she, you think got about- nomin- she got nominated for that didn't she uh, yeah, for yeah. Brooklyn, I think so. She's yeah. been nominated like four times already. Which mm-hmm. is, it's like her, and, to your point, Bill, earlier, her and Jennifer Lawrence, it's similar in that uh, the only difference being Jennifer Lawrence has won, right? Uh, Saoirse yeah. has mm-hmm. not yet sure. won an Oscar. Um, but anyway, The Way Back um, is, like we said, is right now Peter Weir's final movie and is a movie that I was disappointed in when I saw it in 2010 because I was so much looking forward to it. I was in college. I loved Master and Commander. I might have just graduated college, as a matter of fact. And um, I was just, I guess it was honestly, I was expecting it to be a masterpiece. You know what I mean? It was sure. like, it was one of my favorite directors. It was Ed Harris. It was Colin Farrell. It was Jim Sturgis kind of right in that moment where it was like, is maybe, Jim Stur- Jim, maybe Jim Sturgis is going to be a huge star. Yeah, sure. And then Saoirse Ronan was coming off of, I loved her in Atonement. You know what I mean? Lovely Bones maybe didn't hit, but she was definitely on the on the come up. And I remember it just kind of didn't hit. I remember my big, this, and Connor, maybe you remember this, actually. I remember my big criticism of this movie. And I, it's still, I like this movie more, but it's still kind of hold, hold, held its way for me 10 years later. They get to the end, I guess this is spoiler alerts, you know, spoiler alert for this movie, but it's based on a true story, even though that's a little uh, uh, suspect in itself. But um, they get, to the end and they've like made this many thousands of miles walk like these escaped prisoners from this um you know gulag in siberia right uh right after uh, basically world war ii and um 
they look at the Himalayas and they're like, hey, all we have to do is walk through the Himalayas and we're there. And then there's two shots of them walking yeah. through the Himalayas and then they're like, made it. And I'm like, every time I'm like, wait, 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 you just did that? They're not going to spend any time showing us that. But by that point, I suppose it's kind of a narrative choice where you're like, you, you have to kind of, you want another 30 minutes of the Himalayas? I, I don't know. I was kind of thinking about it on this rewatch, I, but um, anyway. I, yeah, no, I, that's, I kind of felt the same way when I saw it. The movie is a little long in the tooth and I don't think that's really that it, it isn't necessarily like the runtime isn't this movie's problem because I feel like it tees itself up to that's kind of a part of it, right? It's got sort of a it's got sort of a David Lean-esque kind of like mentality to it that I feel like if you know what you're getting into, the runtime isn't really a problem. It's a big epic kind of thing, right? And I think the the movie's biggest problem, to your point, Dan, is its pacing. It's like where it chooses to spend that time. Um, and, you know, essentially the the Saoirse of it all, she kind of comes and goes in the movie. She's got sort of a more supporting role. But mm -hmm. Sturgis, quick kind of to quickly get through the plot here, Sturgis uh, is essentially he's sort of given up by his wife uh he's a polish soldier yeah and he's given up to the russians uh by his wife essentially who you know th they did god knows what to her she's essentially tortured in tortured into giving him up and uh they send him to a gulag in siberia and he meets uh mark strong very briefly who sort of fosters this idea of escape and uh he also in the gulag meets Colin Farrell, who's essentially just this criminal who's been placed there, uh, like a career criminal type. Um, and uh, he meets Ed Harris, who's an American, right? And essentially, Harris lets Sturgis on to the fact that like Mark Strong isn't really kind of going to try and attempt the escape. He's just sort of like using Sturgis to like foster hope. So yeah, they wind up, you know, sort of the three of them along with two other of uh Jim Sturgis's colleagues essentially wind up actually escaping they get out in the world with a plan to get to this lake and then from the lake get to uh the Mongolian border right. um into freedom essentially right because right? the idea is obviously they're in communist russia, russia right they're in exactly. the soviet mm -hmm. union and the idea is maybe maybe mongolia will be fine right yeah. maybe we're good. So if we could just get to Mongolia. And you you mentioned Colin Farrell as the criminal who who tags along. Yeah, yeah. And he I think is really good in this movie. I think we even mentioned this movie briefly when we talked to Brian uh about Colin on, Farrell, on yeah. Colin Farrell episode. I think he's really good in this movie. Um Yeah, his name is Volka and he's yep. got a wolf. He's got a knife that he calls Wolf, which yep. I love. <laughs> yeah. Um he's uh, I The think, Russian accent's heavy, but I think it's like that thing of He's really going for it. Yeah. And I almost think, you know, we. I feel like we talk about accents a lot on this podcast, but sure. I think it, he's that rare example in the way back of um, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. Like I think sure. our, me and Connor have always said our biggest problem is like 
the Kevin Costner and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves where it's like, well, you're not doing it and you're not not doing it. Like you got to make a decision, like be Tom hmm. Cruise and Valkyrie and just don't do it. <laughs> don't be Tom Cruise and far and away and like half do it. Right. Like, or be Colin Farrell or like be Leo in Blood Diamond right. and like really freaking do it, you yeah. know, like because I think after a few minutes, it's a little weird seeing Colin Farrell in that space. But after after a couple minutes, you're kind of like, all right, I buy it. He's, he's this Russian. I think it helps because he's almost a little I don't cartoon characters too strong. Like he's it's because that connotes like a. I, I think it's a good, fun performance. But he well, I mean, if 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 you accept that he's American in any of his American roles, then, yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah, that's OK, I, fine. I think that's. I think that's a fair point and I think there but there is a, a sort of a, a vivaciousness to his performance and over there's an, an overtop quality to his character that sort yeah. of he he's allowed to dress the accent in that too I think and that kind of helps um, he almost I was a and sorry this is the Colin Farrell B sidebar too I guess yeah, no, exactly. but, um, <laughs> no but hey, w- real quick it did remind me briefly he feels like the Russian version of his character from Tigerland kind of this like l- larger than life sort of uh oh i i i thought i thought you were gonna talk about uh it feels like his character bullseye from seriously my god bullseye <laughs> no so just to kind of jump back into it uh taking the pass from connor so they basically with that we don't need to kind of spoil it i guess i mean let me let me say this so one of the reasons that i really really dislike this film and and maybe this is harsh maybe this isn't i don't know um i saw this film i wrote a review for it i might have even wrote the review for the film stage i'm not sure um but i wrote the review and the basis of my review was summing up this film as this is basically a continuous miracle happenstance like situation that just keeps cropping up it's an incredible story and it's some of this is kind of based in in truth but the the amount of miracles that happen in this film are are just so above and beyond and i remember reading the true story and it had like maybe half and i was like well, so why'd you add like five more i don't i don't understand why why you just couldn't keep to how many you know i think there was like two or three crazy things that happened along their journey in like the true life story and there's like five or six crazy things right on the brink boom something you know i don't say deus ex machina but you know something miraculous happens. yeah it's got a little bit of that i would say i think at least in the first part of the movie once they get to so they 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 find sersha right mm-hmm. and she's essentially um this j- sort of separate from them uh, she wasn't in the gulag or anything she sort of finds them on the road and they wind up taking her in one of their companions specifically winds up taking her in because he's sort of the extra compassionate one and that's i, I will say that is sort of the interesting first part of the dynamic of this movie is it's kind of like a um you know, you just like a lot of like any of these movies where it's like a group of people all on this trek, you just and they all almost fit these like little archetypes. Right. And so you're just you're, mm-hmm. you're watching this sort of microcosm of humanity 
and 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 uh, you know, so maybe in that regard, some of these characters aren't particularly nuanced. But you you're you're sort of pinpointing the people who are like either going to go first or you know that kind of thing. Right. So that aspect of this movie is interesting. And how she plays into it is obviously interesting. I think her relationship with Ed Harris is is one of the better parts of the movie. Um, yeah, and I think let's ahead. just say, I mean, unless I, you obviously feel free to disagree with me, gentlemen. But Ed Harris is this whole movie to me. I, I rewatching it. I think he's. The I best was part kind of, of like, oh yeah, Ed, like that you get Ed Harris for this role, right? He's Mister Smith. He's this American. His whole deal, like Connor was saying, he's like, look kindness is you i think he literally says right like kindness will get you killed here right yeah. because you know you can't you can't do that his introductory moment is a piece of bread falls from his thing and the guy this old man who's starving goes to grab it and it harris stomps on the bread yeah. so he so the dying man doesn't get it and then he ed harris picks it up and eats it yeah and then you know you find out stuff about ed harris's past and obviously this idea that like you said, Connor, it's a microcosm for kind of morality and like, what are these people running from? What did they go to jail for? What kind of, what did they, what have they already done to survive? Right. What are their sins? Right. All of this stuff. So the story you told us wasn't true. I thought true. that story would be more sad and you wouldn't leave me behind. My parents were Polish communists. They took us to live in Soviet Union to Moscow. They want to work for the revolution. We lived in the Hotel Lux with lots of foreign communists. But they arrested them in 1937. They said they were spies. The police put me in the orphanage and my brother, he died. I was 10 years old. called me Rikov, but I remember their Polish name, Zielinska. I used to say it every night before I went to sleep. So I think in that way, I the movie did work for me actually uh, significantly more on this uh, rewatch. To, sure. to Bill's point, though, I just will say... Uh, as Bill mentioned, uh, uh, generally it's based it's based on a 1996 book, uh, sorry, called "The Long Walk" uh, by a real life Polish army officer named Slavomir uh, Rawich. Rawich, I want to say, and he would be the Janusz character, the Jim Sturgis character in mm -hmm. the movie, which if and I'll link to this in our show notes in uh, in the article. Um, uh, more modern evidence kind of is conflicting and su suggests that he probably did not make the walk, but other prisoners might have like kind of a James Fry situation. Like right. mm -hmm. it might be a true story, but not necessarily his true story type of thing. So that's like another thing that this movie got a lot of criticism for. And this happens sometimes. And this is where I get a little eh, with criticism where it's like, this happened with Selma, which I still am bothered by where it's oh. like, that was such a good movie. Yeah, it's a, Selma's a great movie, and it always it bothers me when people are like, well, I mean, Lyndon B. Johnson wasn't like that. It's like, okay, it's, yeah, keep, oh, a little creative license, please. Right, I mean, it, yeah. We have to act like Lyndon B. Johnson. Like, we can, we can create a narrative around it. Like, let's not go crazy here. Yeah. So similarly, when this movie came out, it did get a lot of criticism because they really lean in 
to this being based on a true story. And I kind of think it's probably a mistake, but at the same time, 10 years removed, I'm like, did it matter? Like, I don't yeah. know. It's like, take the movie on its own I merits. But to your point, Bill, and I think your point's valid, totally. If the miraculousness of what's happening feels hard to, to hard to believe, and there is certainly some of that in this movie, and then you kind of go like, okay, well, maybe this really happened. Yeah, exactly. And then it didn't. You're like, okay, well, now I have a right, problem. That's right. a little different. I yeah, feel like yeah. you have to I, – I feel like – yeah, it's a good point because I feel like you have to – I didn't really have so much of a problem with that because I feel like right. from a storytelling standpoint, I still felt like it was effective. And some of it I even forgot about it by the time I rewatched it. But rewatching it, like there is the thing of like, you know, when Jim Sturgis gets over the hill and sees the lake – and they're not even sure that they're heading in the right direction. There is that <laughs> moment that you're like, oh, thank God. Like you're like, Jesus yeah. Christ, right? And then Well, we should we should say Russell Boyd, who is um Peter Weir's cinematographer for basically everything, right? Yeah. He shot Master Commander, he shot everything. I mean, he's doing work here that's like, I mean, you know, say what you will about the movie, but it looks Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like yeah. there are shots. That and it's funny. I read the New York Times review of this movie, um, you know, as I usually do with these movies. And literally, I think it was Manola Dargis, one of the reviewers, said it's almost too beautiful for the story it's telling. Where it's like you almost want their their journey is so perilous, and yeah. you get those moments, but then it'll go to this like master wide. And it's so stunning. Yeah. You almost get taken out of the hardship because sure. you're like, mm. oh, my God, look, at that's the most beautiful desert I've ever seen. You know, you know <laughs> what I think does a good job on that front? And I remember thinking this, uh, particularly in the desert seats, particularly with to get back to Saoirse, Um the makeup oh, yeah. in this movie is outstanding. And it got mm -hmm. nominated for and an Oscar for makeup. It did, it, it did. And it should have because it just like that, I think, in terms of the hardship is the thing that sells it. Like as yes. they get through the desert in particular, you are like this. Yeah, I just just die already. Right. Like because like yes. that'll be yes. better. Right. And um, she particularly does a great job with that. Um, she's not given a ton to do in this movie. I still think she's a, obviously a welcome presence. She is really good in it. I would say, by and large, I don't even love Jim Sturgis, but I would say, by and large, everybody in this movie is basically, you know, rises to yeah. the, rises to the occasion to a certain degree. Sure. Um, like I said, her relationship with Ed Harris is really good. How that carries out as they get through the desert, I think, is really great. Particularly, as you said, Dan, with the way that they set up his character. Yeah. Um, that I think is all really well and good. I just think that by the time you get to sort of the second half of the desert. I feel like if it's me putting that movie together, that's when you get them to the mountains, right? Because to your point, Dan, it one of the most effective things in the first half of the movie is they know about the Himalayas. Like they know they have to do that. Yep. So as they're suffering through the desert, you're like, oh my God, they still have to go over these fucking mountains. Like, how are they going to do this? And because the reason them touting it as a true story is effective is because in your head you go, well, I know that they make it, right? Or at least yeah. some, someone. You, well, yeah, at the know. beginning, at the beginning, they say three people make it, right? right? So, so you, you're kind of like, okay, well, yeah, great, and great, so you, great setup. Yes, yeah. yeah. So you know that they make it, and that is what's effective when they get into the desert, and you're like, they still got to get over the mountains. How the fuck are they going to get over the mountains? And to your point, Dan, by the time they get there, yeah. 
you're that's like yeah we're over the mountains and there's a village yeah. and you're like oh, okay I, I mean, let me let me say so this cost 30 million and it made 20 so <laughs> it probably lost you know it probably lost 30 right all things considered yeah i don't um, remember sure. it being crazy heavily well i think this so. is so let me say this this is kind of important i was looking back at history this was basically the last film that new market films ever released which if you remember new market films they were a privately owned independent uh, production and distribution company and they their first movie they released uh in, in that kind of banner because they produced other films but like uh, under their own banner was memento and then they oh, released wow. they like bungled the release of donnie darko which you might remember um, but then they did they did some memorable movies that like did okay like real women have curves if you right. remember america ferrera that did pretty well spun didn't do well lila forever didn't do well i don't think but like whale rider won an oscar for kisa cashel mm -hmm. hughes monster won an oscar for um uh, Charlize Theron. And then the movie that basically kept them afloat for like years was they made basically on their own, the passion of the Christ. Oh, people wow. for people forget that oh. the passion of the <laughs> no, Christ. No pun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> people forget that the passion of the Christ was an independent movie. Nobody wanted to make it. No, like, yeah. I, I, I don't forget that at all. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember all the struggles to get it distributed right. and everything like that. And so many theaters were like, well, you know, people are protesting and it's like, it's yeah, a, it's a movie about Jesus. Like if we can't get but it together was, on this, yeah. Well, yeah. but it was yeah, but it was Mel's. It, it was controversial, sure. Yeah, yeah well, because because it was right because it was like unbelievable. I mean, truly, I've seen a lot of movies. That's one of the still to this day one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. Like, sure. yeah. I've never rewatched it. I never planned to, and I don't think I even hated the movie. I mean, the anti-Semitism, obviously, that it was criticized mm -hmm. for, now more than ever holds. More sway than it could have, you know, given the maker sure, of the film, absolutely. you know, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's hard to, it, you can't, you cannot ignore it. Right. And, and, uh, and the content itself, you know, in, in, a, in a respect speaks for itself. Um, that being said, new market, like basically survived on that movie for a while. And then by 2010, which is the way back, it's kind of done. So I think that's also part of it is by the time this movie comes out, new market's kind of like, you know what? We, like this is this doesn't look like it's going to be the hit we need we're out of gas so i think the movie kind of gets once the reviews aren't like amazing it kind of just gets like you know like it fades out you know what i mean and peter weir they've been wanting to make the master and commander sequel forever and ever but the budget's just like i think nobody wants to take the risk right because you know master and commander they made those boats right, right. that's the other <laughs> thing about master and commander like they like like it's like there's CGI in it, but like they made the boats, like they did, they filmed on those yeah. boats, which is so insane. Um, okay, Bill, any last words on the way back before we move on to our next film? To, I mean, to be honest with you, when when we were bunt, punting around some of the films to to put on here, when y'all put the way back, I was like, is Sersha in that? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it is. It is so, fair. You know. it's, she she kind of comes and goes in it. Um, I yeah. I think it's worth addressing. Just because I think it's interesting, she does the thing in all the movies we've mentioned. Even our even our next movie, which spoilers, I do not think is great. Um, I mean, do any of us think it's I, great? I don't. Bill, I mean, Bill, you big? Are you big the host what, fan? What? <laughs> I own it now, but <laughs> oh, no. uh, I wish, sorry, I wish I did. Um, I will <laughs> say though, the 
it she does do the thing that we bring up when we talk about a lot of movie stars which is yeah, she takes she, a shot and she follows like interesting pedigrees right like peter mm-hmm. Weir, andrew nickel right neil yeah. jordan neil jordan and i mean dominic cook maybe less so right but it is you can see this thing of like oh yeah like the dude who directed wrote and directed gattaca like yeah of course right um and she does people and also let's remember she does in 2013 what shailene woodley does what jennifer lawrence does like these other young actresses on the come up are like let me lock myself into or try to mess with a potential franchise Mm -hmm. and see what happens right and all to varying degrees right where it's like okay j-law has hunger games it could not be more successful shailene woodley has the divergent stuff that is initially really successful and really really peters out to the point that it's never going to get finished and then on the lower end sersha probably to her career's benefit in the long run makes a shot with the host which is a which is the not twilight stephanie myers book right right Mm -hmm that Andrew Nichol writes and directs doesn't go anywhere, right? Ultimately just is dead on arrival, kind of basically makes what it costs and no, it gets bad reviews. It's a very weird movie and is just, and she moves on, right? Yeah. She just moves on to the next thing, which ultimately do, probably is beneficial. Do we, do we think she showed up to the wrong set? <laughs> was was Bong, Bong Joon Ho's yeah, right. yeah, right. right. she, filming yeah. around this yeah. same time? Did, it's it's funny because uh, typing that in every time I typed it in, it would always show up as as Bong Joon Ho's. Oh yeah, because no, that's just like, the one people no, are actually looking for. No, that's for. not. And that, that's not. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, and that one it, came. You out. have my best interest in heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Are <laughs> so you sure you don't want to watch this one instead? <laughs> now, now that that host, which is a very fun movie, that came out, I believe, in 2010. Right, so it is pretty close. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Was it 2010? Or was um, it, I thought it's it was around like 06. Then. It might be. I could be wrong. It could be more like 06. You want to check this? So quickly, just the host is a very complicated kind of laboriously uh, complicated movie. I but, can breeze through it for you if you want. Well, I let me try. Okay. So, yeah, this this movie should be 30 minutes. Yeah, so let me try. So, <laughs> so we find out in the beginning that the human race has been essentially conquered by this small alien that are called souls. All right, is that's what yeah. they tell us. Yep. Yeah, and they take over human bodies and they basically use our bodies as hosts. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the other one live. was 2006, by the way. Right. Okay, yeah. thank you for the correction. So, they basically. Once they are in our minds and our bodies, they have this very utopian existence on mm-hmm. planet Earth, no violence, but also, like all these stories, no free will, right? That's the whole thing. And there is this small faction of humans who are still fighting to not be taken over. And at the very beginning of the movie, this human is captured. Her name's Melanie Strider. Melanie Strider. And she's uh, captured in a soul alien it gets put into her head who they call Wanderer. <sighs> and um, <laughs> there's a woman played by Diane Kruger who's called Searcher. Seeker. 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 Come on, Bill. Sorry. 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 And she's, I can guarantee you there are probably like some fans yeah. of this book that might be listening and they're like, it's Seeker. And funny, <laughs> funny thing, just to point out, this movie is released by Open Road Films, which is like another mid-major yeah. studio mm-hmm. that kind of yep. i don't even is it still around i think it's gone by now or it's almost gone anyway um so 
basically, so, okay. What happens is Melanie's very uh, strong-willed. So once Wanderer is in her body, there's this like conflicting dual performance thing happening where Melanie is like having an internal dialogue with the Wanderer soul. And she's like, don't give him any information because basically Diane Kruger's character is like interrogating Wanderer because once you host a body, you also gain access to their memories. Mm-hmm. And and Mel- she's part of the resistance. Yeah, you yeah. learn that uh, Melanie's old boyfriend, this guy named Jared, played by Jeremy Irons' son Max Irons, is um, is part of this resistance, and her brother Jamie is also part of it. And after a <laughs> escape scene that is, I just frustrating in a way that i can't even fully describe (laughs) like in terms of how easy it is it's like yeah she jumped nobody checked to see if the pool was under her apartment (laughs) thing like it's anyway she go she finds the resistance because her uncle played by academy award winner william (laughs) hurt who is like really going for it in this movie which i sort of i kind of i sort of respect it a little bit me too francis francis fisher is also doing it she's in it too yep um so obviously what happens there's this begrudging friendship that that blossoms of course between wanderer and melanie within the same body you find out that wanderer is kind of this more sympathetic alien and you also find out that diane kruger is this more like weirdly sociopathic alien because they are this peaceful spirit one of the most interesting things about the movie is when it becomes more like resistance versus the aliens and this is a very cool andrew nickel thing i think and he always has interesting ideas no matter the quality of his movies is the idea that the upper hand that the humans have at least temporarily is that these aliens are not they don't know conflicts right like they they're, they're docile yeah they're, they're like super oh wait docile. are you gonna shoot at me uh we don't do that don't shoot at me right yeah. it's like very like mm-hmm. which i do think at, is, at, at one point at one point someone sticks out on a highway because they're going above the speed limit right and it's just like and that, oh Jesus. and that moment okay. that that moment in that not good scene is interesting but i think ironically that exact cool idea actually makes the whole movie suffer because there's inherently mm-hmm. no conflict, right. which is, is so yes. weird. It's like, they have to literally be like, Diane Kruger is going rogue. That's the villain. And it's like, okay, so this blonde lady who is one alien is the, essentially the whole, is revealed to basically be the whole villain. And it's like, yeah. then what are we talking about? Like, well, that, why? It, 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 it makes you wonder because, you know, this film and I assume the book, you know, fast forwards through them basically conquering the human right, race right, at this point. Right. And, and it just makes you look back and go, huh? How? Yeah. You know, right. yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, we get we get something like the quiet place or or alien or something like that where you can just see how they would just decimate a population but here they're so docile and they paint all their vehicles bright like (laughs) bright silver for some reason and you're just like okay you stick out you have these oh and we haven't even touched on the glowing blue eyes so everybody has taken over yeah Yeah. you have have these Um, contacts essentially which which, like sorcerer already has crazy eyes uh, so it almost it's like weird so does diane kruger so it's this weird like yes Uh, but yeah and, and and you're just like okay 
the interesting part is how this ever happened like yeah was it government was it you know and so your your brain just kind of reels from that because you you see how well the resistance is like still fighting back yeah as long as they have like a decent amount of numbers like you just punch one of these dudes in the face and they're just like down right like why are they like oh okay hide it like it's it's a weird thing because you feel like with any reasonable amount of you know physical struggle they could probably win right so mm-hmm. it's it's a that part of it is super strange to your point Dan i by the time i finished this movie i was a little frustrated with it because i do i feel like at this point andrew nichols track record is spotty enough that i i don't know where i stand on his work writ large well he's he's high but, concept right yeah, yeah his whole and I, deal and i think and i like because obviously he's you know he's one half of the excellence that is the truman show right so yep. so there's that i love gattaca one of my favorite movies of all time even in time which is not a very good movie to your point dan which i, I came think, out right before this and was far more successful than this movie just as a point oh interesting interesting yeah, worldwide in time was way more well received i did than it was i, I did not recall that but yeah so but that's another reason that the host is, a, is a little bit of a that's you can a, understand why he makes the host but off of in time it's they're similar movies in design kind of yeah and i and i can again within time it's this thing i mean granted he sort of with that movie he sort of extrapolates on like a super like juvenile concept where he just literally thought one day like time is money yeah, well, wait, literally, what if time the, is money? And it's then, the like, tagline. It's one of my favorite things where taglines are the, the plot thing, of the movie. Where it's literally like time is money. No, no, that's what the movie that's is. The, time that's is it, money. Right? But anyway, and not, you, not you're kind of like pretty cool. I know, and well, then you right, watch the movie and you're like, well, eh. right. And that, I, that, and again, I know that he's adapting another piece of work here, and it, you know, whatever. Not, I don't. I'm not trying to like completely shit on Stephanie Meyer or whatever, but I do feel. My gut says that the more interesting things that this movie has to offer are probably a product of his of a, of well, his adaptation of it because sure. it feels in his alley. Like to your point, there are these you do have this um, upgrade esque quality to the movie, right? Where you have Melanie and Wanderer in the same body. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Sorsha kind of having this, like you know. It could be a mechanic that could be played for a ton of fun, i.e. upgrade, mm-hmm. right? Like that is the whole joy sure. of that movie, right? It's like a buddy movie that takes place within the same character, right? Um, and one of them's a sociopath. But like, so that <laughs> part of this movie, I can see from her standpoint why that tracks is interesting. Like that could be a lot of fun as an actress. Yeah, an interesting and star, it, star turn yeah, and opportunity. I think, I, and I think this movie unfortunately doesn't have enough fun with that mechanic um and well the the question is whether this movie has any fun no 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 all, it, i think that's yeah. exactly it because i think the, <laughs> the the most that that the most conflict that the that the movie employs with that mechanic is sort of a chaste sexual one right because the whole well that's yeah i was gonna say the 70 mire of it all is the is, is, is the decision between the love triangle yeah. there's a love it ends up quadrangle. Like a quadrangle right because it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. so basically they rounded a corner yeah. yeah so max irons is skeptical of this they call it you know this alien that's taken over his girlfriend's body but then obviously you learn that melanie's still inside so then you have this thing where uh uh max irons character jared 
is still in love with Melanie, who's still in love with him, but the alien falls in love with Ian, played by Jake Abel. But the problem with that whole thing is nary 30 minutes into the movie, that character that Jake Abel plays literally tries to strangle the alien to death, and then they fall in love, which is such a... The sexual uh, politics know, of this movie it's are such a fucking a, but it's a nightmare. Very, but it's a, that's a very Stephanie Meyer thing, yeah. you know? Like, mm-hmm. Twilight, which, which I think I... And like is a strong word, but I think I kind of accept maybe more than most people in terms of just, I am a pretty big proponent. And I feel like Bill, you're kind of like this too. Maybe all three of us more than like the Michaels and the Bryans or whatever. I'm a pretty big proponent of like, look, the culture, the cultural effect of stuff does matter, right? You can say it doesn't matter and whatever, but I think that's kind of bullshit. It's like, if people like Twilight, that doesn't mean it's good, but it means it works. It connected with something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you cannot like yeah. the math that people use to denigrate that stuff. It can be an independent criticism. All right. Obviously about the twilights and the whatevers, but there's a reason it works. And if people like it, they like it doesn't make them bad people. You like what you like. Right. So it's like, you know, I don't love the MCU movies. I don't hate them. I don't love them, but I get it, right? Like when I was in that theater and Avengers Endgame ended and the signed things came up at the end and people were crying and cheering. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, you. but you know what? <laughs> but, right, you got, but but honestly, like I, that series didn't, didn't have that effect on me the way it had an effect on other people, but I got goosebumps too. In, in a movie theater when that happened. And you know what? Movie theaters, right, guys? That oh, was nice. God. Yeah. Anyway, look, um, uh, God bless. Yeah. But so my point is simply, Stephanie Meyer has got a specific way of writing these characters. The stuff happening romantically is very similar to the Twilight stuff, to the point of, like, aggravatingly so, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. think this is a classic example. This happens all the time. She wrote another book. Obviously, a company like Open Road wants their Twilight, right? Yeah. Like, Lionsgate... Lionsgate got their Twilight with the Hunger Games. Nobody nobody bought the Hunger Games, right? Lionsgate was a mm-hmm. mid-major that stepped up to the John Wick of it all because of Hunger Games, because like the Warner Brothers didn't want to make Hunger Games. So Open Road saw that move and was like, oh, maybe the host? Maybe the host too? Too much host? And, no. And and it, just did, what, it just didn't work. And you know? I will say like – Again, on paper, I couldn't necessarily blame anybody because even Andrew Nichol, I could see a world where it again, it just doesn't translate and it doesn't make it all the way through. But there are mechanics on display with the plot of this movie that like could be fascinating. And it just well, it, I think it just gets I, I, my I, no, no pun intended, but it gets mired in 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 the <laughs> in the sort of like teen romance novel of it all. And and that's the less, unfortunately, the less interesting half of the movie. I I don't I want us to be able to move on off of off this film. Yes, but, yes, uh, indeed. As, as a last little point, um, I'm curious, and I haven't done any research on this. Shame on me. But uh, I wonder how much power Stephanie Meyer had at this Maybe. time over the screenplay, over the writing of this film, stuff of that. Yeah. Nature. So yeah, just to answer your question, and then we can move on to Byzantium. She had a lot of power. Um, so, okay. so I think See. as part of the deal, as if I'm remembering correctly, and I, I will research this and I will correct myself in the article if I'm wrong, but as I, I believe she had as much, if not more power in terms of the creative process than Andrew Nichol, because it was after Twilight and it was her mm-hmm. novel. And I think that became kind of part of, not unlike E.L. James in the sequels, 
to Fifty Shades, mm-hmm. yep. where after the stuff with um, uh, I can't I heard her yeah, the, the director's name is Taylor. Sam Taylor uh, yeah. Johnson. Um, um, their butting heads on that set resulted in her not getting brought back for the next two. And James mm-hmm. Foley basically just coming in as like a hired hand, which he's pretty honest about. He's like, yeah, they pay me a lot. I came in, you know, E.L. James told us what we wanted to do. I put my spin on it. I think this was similar. Uh, the host, I think that was a similar situation. Um, okay. Moving past that, it was a nice try by search to become a star. It didn't really work. That same year, uh, independent movie comes out. Uh, that's from, Irish director Neil Jordan, who I'm a big fan of, who you know from movies like The Crying Game, The Company of Wolves, Mona Lisa, um, The Interview with the Vampire, uh, mm-hmm. which obviously, uh-huh, obviously connects uh-huh. with this movie. Ondine, um, which I think me and Connor like a lot. Yeah, I okay. saw that movie at Toronto, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, um, which I loved then. I think Ondine came out be- right before this, as a matter of fact. Um, Byzantium. Bill, do you want to tell us what Byzantium's about? Sure, I can tell you what Byzantium Go for is about. It. Um, you think you know the vampire, not or you know lore and things like that. Well, this is a a nice little tweak on that. So basically, uh, vampirism is not something that you transfer through biting. You have to go to this uh, one-off island where you see uh, seek out a. Uh, it's not a cavern I, I don't even know what the hell to call this thing it's like a um, it's like it's a, a shrine it's, it's, it's like a yeah it's like a, a hut made out of stone and uh you climb inside of it you see some kind of demon that replicates you know basically looks like you and it kills you and then all of a sudden i don't know maybe an hour later you wake back up and now you're a vampire uh so you have a thirst for blood and uh the only way to transfer this from person to person is basically going to this island um this leads to something called the brotherhood that uh works in the shadows that passes this knowledge between their selected uh brethren who they're gonna kind of get into this um flashback i don't know what is this? Eight, eight? Yeah, it's well, like two, well, 1800s? So, well, so if you do it chronologically, it starts in the Napoleonic Wars, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. and you have Gemma Arterton as a young woman. Um, and just, just for your history buffs, the Napoleonic Wars k- took place from 1803 to 1815. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Bill. But yeah, yes. that's when it chronologically it all starts. And so we meet uh, these two handsome officers, one offers a pearl for a um an oyster and another offers whoredom and uh that's what happens to poor young Jimma Arteton uh she uh gets basically uh brought into a brothel and from there has a kid from there we flash forward to Sersha Runnin and Jimma Arteton on the run, bouncing from home to home in the modern day, probably like 2011, 2012, somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, just modern maybe, day at maybe the time. current. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that's that's where our story kind of begins. And uh, we realize that Shersha Ronan is very, very um, depressed and n- not into life as it is right now. Uh, she's the more somber of the two, and Arderton is basically the caretaker. Uh, we find her opening in a in a strip club basically and uh yeah 
that's that's kind of the setup yeah um the they leave a trail of bodies and uh as you would guess the brotherhood is not too pleased about this also notice that i said brotherhood yeah that, <laughs> exactly, i mean that, yes that's the big kind of crux of it all uh in that you know as things progress you, you know you it's revealed that uh that you know women basically aren't allowed to to sort of receive this if you want to call it a gift of sorts yeah well and that's the thing the best i think the most i like this movie well enough i like neil jordan um he's a style he's a style guy um Mm -hmm. which is not uh is not a soft compliment he's also made very deep interesting movie you know the crying game among them right he's made a lot of different movies um but the thing i really like about byzantium as in comparison to interview with the vampire is an interview with the vampire. Um, Louie, who's Brad Pitt, his vampirism is the curse of his life, right? Immortality as it is with so many vampire stories is the like, what have I done? This is hell. This is, I mean, literally in twilight, it's like yeah. that. That's a big part of twilight is this idea of like, mm-hmm. I've seen so many people die, blah, 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 blah. Okay. What I like about this movie is that's not what's going on. Like yeah. Jim Arterton and Saoirse Ronan, she might be a little depressed or whatever. They're basically like, look, nah, it's not bad. We kind of like it. Like, you know, hey, we get to live forever. Like, yeah, it's tough. We move from place to place and like we're always on the run. But the vampire part of it isn't actually like the curse, right? It's as much of a gift as it is a curse in this world, which I think is interesting. Are the others like you? I've never met one, and Clara never speaks of any. I think we're the only two who still endure. How often do you feed? I'd rather not talk about it. Thank you. That's the distasteful part of being an immortal, isn't it? If you don't believe a word I say, why this pretense? Helena, how can you be two centuries old by... By what miracle of science? You see, that's the tricky thing. Because it's only over time that I can prove it. 30, maybe 40 years from now, when you're pruning roses from your wheelchair, I'll stroll by your garden gate and say, Hello, Morag. And nothing will have changed. I am 16 forever. And you'll realize this. And it will hurt your heart. And I'll say, may peace be with you. And I'll help you with the pain. And a type of vampire story I don't know that we get a lot of, right? And just to connect to the title... They have to they have to escape early on in the way in the framework of the narrative, and they encounter Daniel Mays, who um, is this like schlubby single guy whose mother just died and left him this old hotel that's now defunct called Byzantium, the Byzantium Hotel, and um, mm-hmm. that's where they end up living. And Gemma Arterton's character Clara opens a brothel brothel of her own while while um 
Saoirse Ronan's character goes to the local college and befriends Caleb Landry Jones, who's in this movie and not a vampire. Yeah, it is. Which is insane to me. And I feel like Brian Rowan has said that also, like, because I know Brian, I think, likes Byzantium well enough, if I recall uh, correctly. But it's nuts that Caleb Landry Jones, who literally looks like, if you told me tomorrow, I'd be like, hey, did you see The Times? And I'd be like, what? And they're like, Caleb Landry Jones is a vampire. I'd be like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, okay, I think we all thought he's patient zero. I think we, he's yeah, I think zero. we all thought that could be a possibility that Caleb Landry Jones is a vampire. But um, <laughs> let me just say before I forget, Moira Buffini wrote this script. It's based on her novel of the same name. The two handsome soldiers from the Napoleonic Wars that you were talking about, Bill, are Sam Riley and Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny Lee Miller, in classic Johnny Lee Miller form, is playing a horrible man who is a pedophile, and it's very much kind of like, well, you know, Johnny Lee Miller, he's a pedophile, and like Sam Riley's like. Uh, please don't rape that girl. She's really young. Oh, okay, you're gonna go do it. It's like I feel like a very Neil Jordan yeah. <laughs> type of a thing. Um I I basically I truly don't have much more to say about the movie. The coolest thing about the movie, I think by a mile, when they go to the island and someone's turning into a vampire, all the water yeah. that's streaming <laughs> down from the top of this mountain that this like, you know, shrine is in, uh, becomes red, blood red. Love that. Love yeah. it. I, I mean, not totally only just, I think Jordan becomes thing. blood, I love right? It. Like, no, yeah, it, blood. Yeah, yeah it yeah, turns yeah, into yeah. blood. It's it's an interesting. I agree. I basically this, every moment of this movie is better than Dracula Untold. Yes, you know what I mean, in I, terms of just kind of like <laughs> I finished this movie, you know, two, like two hours ago. It was the last one of these that I watched. Um, I basically really liked it. Um, I would recommend it. I it particularly with Sorsha, I. This wasn't in, in context with this movie, but in Manola Dargis's review of The Host, she mentions something about uh, her as an actor that she she mentions this kind of unspoken quality of like youth and maturity at the same time. Right. And she mm-hmm. kind of evokes uh, in that in that review, she she evokes like, oh, maybe she'll be like the next Kate Blanchett. Right. Which I think is entirely possible as her career continues. But um, but I think that's something that is on, that is at play in this movie, uh, to, to really great effect because she mm-hmm. just so embodies this interesting quality of like an old soul, right? Like she feels like she's been around for 200 years, um, while also seeming so youthful and innocent and, and what have you. Um, and that whole the sort of compassion and empathy that's that's uh, on display with her character in particular, uh, I really liked. To your point, Dan, I think that's sort of the interesting part of all this um, in terms of just a, a spin on vampirism and that kind of thing. Like she almost gives these, you know, she only feeds on people when she knows they're like cool with it which is kind of fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Right. Like at the beginning, she befriends this old man who's found these pages she's writing and like throwing out into the world to so disappear essentially. And so he's mm-hmm. found her story and is like, Hey, you turn, Hey, you're a vampire, huh? Like basically. Yeah. And he's she's like, like, he's like, weirdly yeah, cool with it. He's can like, I kill you? Because yeah. like, you're really old. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's a pretty like, look, Jordan, Neil Jordan's an interesting filmmaker. I think, He's got a lot of fans, a lot of defenders, and a lot of people who probably don't love his movies in general. Like, I'm a big supporter of Interview with the Vampire. I think it's a pretty he, underrated he also directed, camp classic. Did he direct The Good Thief? 
Did you mention yeah, that before? Yeah, The Good Thief is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love The That's Good Thief uh, with Nick Nolte. Um, Bill, did you like uh, Byzantium? Did you like this movie? So I had a couple of issues, um, but I, I really like the mystique that this film is going for. It's it's definitely a mood, yeah, right? right. Uh, when we talk about like filmmakers and moods and stuff like that, this one's got a lot going for it. Um, I had some issues, some reservations, and I could see why it didn't have that kind of staying power that some other interesting tweaks on the vampire kind of lore have. Um, but I do think this is a, a, a genuinely good, uh, like addition to that lore, but I don't understand why they have so much and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, how much spoilers I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, but, um, Leo was one of them, which is funny since we mentioned Leo quite a few times here already. Uh, but how how much spoilers do we, we want usually to go decide into? We, based on the movie? I don't think we need to spoil a lot on this one, really. I okay. Mean, um, yeah. I the the big thing for me is I don't know how much power they have because early on in the film, uh, what what is her name? Uh, what? Not Marley. Jim Jim Arden or yeah Jim Jim yeah Jim yeah Eleanor. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Claire Eleanor, is her is uh, your character's name? Claire, is Claire, Claire, Claire. Sorry, yeah, sorry. no, no, I, yeah, I yeah, confuse you. you. Saoirse Ronan's character is Eleanor, and Gemma Arterton's character is Clara. Mm-hmm. There yeah. we go. Um, I she decapitates somebody, right? Which is great when it piano happens, wire actually. And then when you start seeing uh, vampires actually interact with each other, this is the rare film where you never really see them overpower somebody. Mm-hmm. And never really see them do anything grotesquely weird. They don't, you know, fly into the back of a wall, mm. and right. you know they don't climb. They don't turn into bats. They're they're one like signifier that they're about to feed is that their thumbnail gets really really yep. long and sharp. Yeah, they, and have, pointy. they have a, they have a, they have a permanent. Coke vampire nail. coke nail. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yes, and so I don't understand. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone be decapitated with a piano wire. I've seen certainly a lot of slit throats, uh, but full on like ripped a head off. Yeah, it's a good point. Like you never see her use that again. No. And and my fiance was like, well, so are they just like maybe – originally I thought, oh, maybe they don't have the ability to be powerful to other vampires. So, you know, it's that classic like, you know – both of them are super strong so they just look like they're normal right right to each other but no that was a yeah. vampire that she which, which is why she decapitates him it seems right yeah. like yeah. yes and so i'm like so how strong is she yeah, i don't it seems understand like it seems, so, i would it seems like and i have not read the book but i would guess that buffini and jordan make the call to like basically just eschew that right I, like well it does only- come back um, and I'm, well, I won't, the, I won't go into the specifics. Only, yeah, because the only yeah. like mythological things in it is you got to invite them in. Yeah, that's like mm-hmm. a big thing in this movie. And then at the end, the brethren have like a steel sword that is kind of like meant to be like a vampire killer thing, which would imply you need some sort of this silver Maybe blah, blah 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 piano yeah. wire. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, I. Uh, you go ahead, Connor. No, no, no. I was just going to say, without getting into the specifics of the scenario, so we don't spoil. But like, 
uh, in the third act of the movie, Gemma Arton like forces open an iron gate on an elevator. She breaks her hand through the the windshield of a car. You know, like, oh right. So right. it does it does come back to your point though, Bill. There isn't a ton of like the kind of like crazy physical acrobatics or anything like that. I do think the the strength is is at play, but yeah, you don't see a ton of that conflict um play out you know she basically gets the one up i think on the vampire that she kills uh near the beginning of the film more so be out of surprise right than anything else um mm -hmm. but i that's one of the things i dug about the movie I, again to your point i can see the reservation because it's uh, the rules are a little murky and i i, mm -hmm. I am someone who appreciates like rules in a thing like this but um yeah. i mean neil jordan i think in general doesn't give a shit about stuff like that. Like sure. Ondine, ha Ondine has the same type of stuff, kind of on purpose yeah. by the end, I guess, but still. And even like Greta, which if you guys, that came out like last year, the year before, mm -hmm. right? Which was his most recent movie, which I didn't love. Greta also is like that. Greta's like a thriller that's one thing and then it kind of chooses to become this other thing. And like the mm -hmm. way, the choices feel way more in like because Neil Jordan wants to do it than any sort yeah. of like, you know, love of the narrative or like adherence to some sort of rules, which I think can go one way or go the other. I think depending on kind of the movie you're making. Um, now, as we kind of transition to our final movie, I do have one, let me one quick yeah, question. Yeah. OK, go ahead. Yeah. So at, at one point and I just need someone to clarify this for me. It doesn't even need to be YouTube. Maybe somebody listening can tweet at me or something and explain it. So. Gemma Arterton at one point describes Caleb Landry Jones as being Sorcerer Ronan's type, right? And <laughs> describes him as sexy as a pair of shoes. Now, yes. partly, I took part it to mean not sexy. Okay, that's my question because the reason it was confusing to me is A, I've never heard that expression before, but Gemma Arterton, seemingly partly because of her profession, wears very sexy shoes. So interesting. Yeah. So so does she think Caleb Landry Jones is sexy? Bill, what do you think? And, Bill? Is, you and make, I you guess make the decision. Decision. I I thought I, I thought it was the sexy shoes. Oh yeah. so Bill, you thought it yeah. Caleb Landry Jones is so sexy. So that's where I <laughs> I was watching this. I, was I mean watching Caleb Landry Jones fiance, is kind of like druggy sexy. Right. I guess that's my question to more I, so the internet, I, right? Is like it, mm -hmm. I don't know. Is there a contingent? Of, is Thanos dad? Kind of a little bit, right? But even the Thanos, Thanos thing, right. even the Thanos thing, I can get. In the, I guess in the same way with Caleb Landry Jones in this movie, he's got like the long hair. He's got so even though yeah, he's, he's kind of he's a pretty, even he's though he's kind guy. of emaciated and and vampirish, right? We, to your we point, will Dan, not. I can we will not get it. We will choose to not get into the Caleb Landry Jones accent work in this picture. Yeah, no, 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 no. Anyway, no, no. <laughs> I, I just wanted to shout out before we get to On Chesil Beach, I wanted to sh shout out um, a couple other B-sides we did not talk about, but you can mm -hmm. check out if you want to. She made Violet and Daisy, directed by the guy. I've seen Have that. You? Do you like it? Real quick, do you like it? I don't remember liking it that so, much. I remember leaving the theater kind of disappointed. Yeah, so but. that's directed by Jeffrey F Jeffrey Fletcher, who wrote Precious, based on the novel mm -hmm. Push by Sapphire. Um, so Violet and Daisy, How I Live Now, like a post-apocalyptic adventure movie with uh, directed by Kevin McDonald. Um, 
Lost River. She's kind of the lead. Uh, her and like Matt Smith, if I remember, the Ryan Gosling movie mm-hmm. that he directed. We, I think we've seen it, all of us, and we chose not to talk yeah, about it, right? Yeah, we were like, not. Yeah, no I, I, I think I was, when I was initially talking about it with you, Dan, after you mentioned that okay. Bill wanted to do Sorcerer, I was like, uh, do we do Lost River? Because it is a B side. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, but yeah. like, but it's a tough no, one. No. And then most recently, a C side. Yeah, kind oh, of. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, something. <laughs> It's something. And then most recently, Michael Mayer, who's a great Broadway director, uh, he made a movie actually with Colin Farrell that I love called A Home at the End of the World. His most recent movie called The Seagull uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Annette Benning and a bunch of other people that I think is based on Chekhov, right? Am I yeah. wrong on that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's Chekhov, um, but it's definitely. Yeah, Chekhov. Yeah. Um, so feel free to check those out if you are so inclined. Our final movie, directed by Dominic Cook, written by the great Ian McEwen, based on his own novella, which is... I've read a few of his stuff, things, and On Chesil Beach is one of my favorite things he's ever written that I've read. Uh, on Chesil Beach. Can can I stop you real quick? Go ahead. Uh, so I, I guess I just noticed the narrative there as y'all were mentioning some of those other films. Um, a lot of those were kind of based on books. Uh, the Host, based on a book. Byzantium, based on a book. On Chesil Beach, based on a book. The Way Back, based on a book. She loves books, dude. <laughs> she's she's a, a bookworm. Uh, little Is she's Little Little Women, based on a uh, book. Brooklyn, like Brooklyn, yeah. based on a book. Brooklyn, based yeah. on a book. Yeah, calm, calm Tobin. <laughs> Atonement, based on a book. Lovely Bones. <laughs> she, wait, now, I don't so wait, understand wait, what's wait, going so on. So now, are the only originals Lady Bird and her uh, her Wes Anderson movies? Is that what we're realizing? Uh, Hannah. I, we, we well, did... and Lost, Lost River's original, yeah. whether we like it or not, it is original. Yeah. Um, oh, Hannah. Oh, yeah. God, Hannah. Hannah, I like. I like so, Hannah so, as well. So maybe, maybe, maybe the secret to getting Ronan in your film is to hand her a script and oh, hand her oh, a book. Oh, City of Ember, based yep. on a book. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, there's, wow, there's Bill, a through line Bill here. cracking it right at the tail end here. <laughs> um, so on Chisel Beach, uh, I love the novella. Um, it's essentially a story about a young English couple on the night of their on their wedding night. They have not consummated the marriage. Um, they come from conservative families. Um, the girls, Saoirse Ronan's character's family, a bit more conservative, Her name is a bit more just film. together than than his fam than the the boy's family. Um, Florence Ponting is her name. Billy Howell plays Edward Mayhew, who's who's the uh, the young man. Um, and it's this very repressed English emotion movie where essentially Edward and Florence are very nervous about having sex with each other on the night of their wedding. And they take their honeymoon at Chesil Beach, like a nice bed of breakfast. At Chesil Beach or? Well, at the beach, on the beach. Chesil Beach. Yes, nice, nice. <laughs> and um, the story is told in flashbacks, right? So the framework of the whole piece is their wedding night. And in their conversation, you you flash back to both of their kind of how they met, their family life, right? Um, Edward's got some tragedy in his life with his mother, and uh, Florence has just kind of this domineering mother played by Emily Watson and just a very conservative upbringing. And it kind of – all of it leads to this fateful night where they they both kind of – when faced with doing what should be this very joyous act, of course, because of societal pressures and social pressures and cultural pressures and whatnot, they kind of, they, they kind of botch it. Right. And it's about the botching of that moment and kind of the before and the after of that. So I will say this, this is not as good as the book. And I know it I always sound, that sounds pretentious when people say that, but in this 
instance, I just have to say, I like this movie. The last 20 minutes really kind of brought it home for me. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the book and the way it is just written is 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 beautiful. And and McEwen wrote this this screenplay, so obviously there's a lot of license here as well. But it just doesn't hold the same sway for me. Um, I think some of that you blame on Cook. I think there's some nice moments in this movie, but I think – in general, the camera's pretty stodgy, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a problem. Um, I think if you're going to make a movie about repressed English people, you should be Carrie Fukunaga and it should be Jane Eyre, where it's like, let the people be repressed, but let the camera be adventurous, right? Like, be Joe Wright and Atonement and Pride and Prejudice and Anna Karenina. Like, let yeah. the people, you know, Russian in that last case, but let the people be repressed and dealing with internal mm-hmm. strife, but let the let the aesthetic be kind of playful. I think the show, I think Dominic Cook kind of doesn't uh, do enough of that, which I think ultimately is a detriment to the movie. But I think of the four movies, this is probably Search's best performance, I would say. So I, would agree, I, I will yeah. say all mm-hmm. that and I will then pass it to the room. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, no, I basically, I. it's kind of funny, Dan, because I, I sort of watched this movie in two parts and I talked with you briefly uh, in between those two parts and you kind of were mentioning how you were feeling about it. And I disagreed when we talked. But what's funny is I kind of hadn't gotten to sort of some of the stuff you were talking about. So I by the time I got I watched basically the first hour of it. And I will say in the first hour, I was basically pretty enamored with the movie. Um I think I agree with you about the camera work. I think it comes in fits and spurts in terms of there's the occasional moment where you're like, oh, that's nice. Like that's a nice, you know, a bit of framing or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, particularly once they they, you know, there are are they are on the titular beach. There are some nice wide uh masters that are really nice. But um but I think the the bits and pieces of their courtship and how you get to know them as individuals separately before they come together um, is really nice. You, Dan, had mentioned that the the novella does not employ flashback at all. Well, so I read it a long time ago. I just think, obviously, it's... It's McEwen, of course, if you've read Atonement and whatnot, he's always dealing with memory and regret, right? Mm-hmm. But my point is simply, I guess when I read it, whether or not it is flashing back, I read it as a chamber piece, right? right. Like in my head, it was two mm-hmm. young people yeah. on the beach at the bed and breakfast dealing with their shit, right? So the framework thing with this movie took me out of it a little bit because I was like, oh, I don't – like let them tell me – in the hotel room. Like don't yeah. you don't have to show you don't have to show me the conservative mother. I know conservative mothers. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to like I, Emily Watson, we love her. We stand a legend, whatever. But you don't need to show me her. Like, I, you know, tell me about I'd her. Be like curious. you know, stay stay with the couple. That's I my wonder, that's my thought. I wonder what this movie went through in the editing because I do I did start thinking, particularly when you get to the second half of the movie and things have kind of have kind of crumbled to a degree, right? I wondered, oh, would this have just been better if it was chronological, right? Because mm-hmm. you are, you then get to, even if you're not doing what you're talking about, Dan, where it's not necessarily a chamber piece, but you, maybe you do the thing where you start it 
in the in the hotel and then you get through the whole flashback right of their of the progress mm. their courtship and all that because i i was really struck by some of those moments there's there's the moment where he she meets his mother for the first time and he obviously has a hard time with it because of yeah, his mother's she's... disability and source is wonderful right like she's and to the degree yeah, that's, where, a nice, yeah, that's a nice to scene. the degree where her his father immediately is like marry that girl because she's just like the most yes, compassionate yes. wonderful human right and it's and then he goes into the other room to like try and make some tea or whatever and he kind of breaks down a little bit it's like a wonderful little moment and it felt so real and it felt like exact like everything there i thought was really wonderful and in just in that particular part of the movie that i wonder if you're given all that together first when they have this uh this is is that power yeah is that more exactly when they, when they when they start right, to crumble where you're just like no it was going so well though right sure because like it, it, to your point when i started watching the flashbacks and i started seeing their interactions with each other i was like this is a lovely yeah, couple right. i like them yeah. a lot this is great like there's there's no problems yeah. here and then and then you flash forward and you're like what the fuck is going yeah. on y'all? <laughs> yeah and it's i i liked the i do like the one thing that i think the flashbacks achieve really well is you obviously immediately are watching these people maybe do something that they never should have done right um mm -hmm. and that is in that is effective in its own way because you are you are clearly seeing that these people got married too soon and are still figuring each other out and what i like about the flashbacks or at least just that portion of the chronology of this movie is that they both ha clearly have hang-ups but to your point bill and they seem like a nice couple it to me it feels real right because he's kind of a dope and and there's there are aspects of him that aren't immediately appealing but there are other things that that are right and so that i that felt really real to me and i liked all that and and so the flashback does allow you to kind of see her figuring that out too late kind of thing and and the same thing with him like they're both teetering on this thing of like oh did we it's like you're the, the hotel portion of this movie is like an extended portion of the end of The Graduate, right? Like where it's like you just you are watching these people kind of dance right. around. Like, like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. They're like, what have we done? Right. And that I think is interesting. But I do think it would have maybe been more effective if it if it if the movie did take the time to really sweep you up in the romance just with the first 45 mm -hmm. minutes of the movie. Yeah. What do you think, Bill? You like you like search on this? I, I I like this film a lot. I like her a lot. Um, like you, Mecca. Uh, I think the the end really kind of pulls it home for me. Um, I was really confused with what what was going on and what was happening to Sersha's character. Um, there obviously seems to be uh some some underlying issues. We will say, um, maybe surrounding her family. Uh, but I don't know. I I I was really struck by how much. I was just baffled by everything that was happening in the hotel and it was the flashbacks that kind of pulled everything yeah. together and and those little breadcrumbs kind of led me to understand that this couple doesn't really know each other in, and especially in this way because for me I was like 
this is really the first time that y'all are going to try and sleep with each other. Well, and, I mean, and look, it's also and, the time, you know, right? It, it, yeah. And, and, yeah, it was a different time, but I was just like, yeah. wow. I mean, you know, and, and you never really see them like hardcore make out or do anything like that. So you never see them go down that path. Yeah. And so I mean, it, speaks it, to, it was interesting. Yeah, it speaks to a really, a really real thing, I think, at that time. I mean, still still now to a way smaller, obviously, uh, percentage of people. but Absolutely. But this thing of just repression, this thing of religion and, you know, this bullshit that just can really make life harder for people, you know, for no good reason. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, the ending is kind of, there's a la la landness to it, which I think sure. is nice, mm-hmm. um, you know, and sad and sweet and all that. Um, you know, she's a musician. That's another part of it. We don't need to kind of dive too much more into it i want to say i want to ask just because we both so i think me and bill feel probably we agree that this is probably her best performance of the four movies you'd say bill you'd agree with me on chesel beach i i mean to be honest uh byzantium is definitely up there as well but yeah i, I mean j- just being simple yeah what, chesel beach what definitely you, sh- show, yeah. shows shows a lot of range for yeah. her right. it shows her being very young but also being very uh, astute and just knowledgeable and and things of that nature. Yeah, and interesting when you think about this is ten years after Atonement, right? Another McEwen novel. It's kind of interesting. Um, Connor, what about you? Do you what do you think is the best one of, her, I, of these four? Performance wise, I would agree with you. This is not. I did. I basically liked this movie. I mean, I would say generally speaking, other than the host, I would pretty much recommend the other three movies. Like. The Way Back has its yeah. problems, but I think if you're someone who likes Peter Weir's other movies um, and can dig a movie like that, it's not, you know, it's not, uh, you know, not worth watching. So I think it's definitely uh, I think that's, def- you know, definitely in there. I would and I would say Byzantium and On Chesil Beach are definitely worth watching. I think they're they're uh, um, they're each sort of of their own piece in terms of the genres that they slip into. You mentioned, Dan, something that I thought was interesting that I do want to bring up just because of what we talked about on our uh, last episode where we covered somebody um, was, you know, this was at one point going to get made with Andrew Garfield and Carey Mulligan. Right. And uh, directed by Sam Mendes. Mm. And one thing that I thought was interesting about that outside of the two performers who I think would have been fantastic as well in this movie um, that w- one of the things I thought was fascinating is if it's Sam Mendes, does he give this, does he give this movie what it actually needs, which I think this movie has a little bit peppered in, which is a little bit of like self-reflexive humor at how silly some of it is in, t- in terms of like, yeah, not enough though. It's like, no, it's, no, no, you no. got to do more of it. Yeah. No, 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 no you, a thousand yeah. percent. Cause the parts of this movie that I liked the most were those clumsy, stilted aspects um, that sort of allow you to see like this is all, like stupid. To your yeah. point, Bill, you're like you're like have these people really not, like you know obviously the the sort of um, the sort of puritanical rigidity of it all. You're kind of like right. Oh, how did how is this a thing ever people ever worried about right like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels so uh, outdated uh, very specifically in that regard. And the movie occasionally gets self-reflexive, I think, and notes how silly it is that, that this sort of crumbling of this relationship because of that tension was even allowed to happen, right? The 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 reason I bring up Sam Mendes is he often gets criticized for a movie 
like Revolutionary Road, where he took a book that had some of that satire, had some of that dark humor in it, um, <laughs> and sort of sapped it out a little bit in favor of of a movie that was just way more uh, melodramatic and and cutting and that kind of stuff. Right? It's just a little bit more uh, mean. Right. And I wonder if he makes this movie. Right. Does he get he goes. Yeah, opposite. right. Does he does he either go the opposite and give this movie that sort of self-reflexive satire that I think it needs more of? Or does he do what he did with Revolutionary Road, where it is two people screaming at each other on a beach? Yeah. In and a all hotel the comedies. Because that book is funny. I mean, that, you know, the Revolutionary Road. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that part of it's curious to me. Because there is a part of me that totally wants to believe that the version of the Mendez uh, Mulligan Garfield version is maybe a way better movie than this is, even though I think this well, movie is even though I think this movie is good. Um, yeah. You have to wonder how that might have gone. Um, yeah. And this movie, you know, didn't get any traction, kind of came and went, obviously. Um, I'll say of the four, as we're kind of wrapping up, the f- my my favorite movie even with his flaws would be the way back. Mm. Um, and Bill, what would you say of these four would be your favorite? The thing that I would probably want to watch again is uh, Byzantium. Oh, interesting. Cool. And then Colin, yeah. what about you? I would say, um, I would agree with you on the way back, but I would say Byzantium would probably be the first one I would recommend to somebody. Yeah. Byzantium, I think it's is pretty kind watchable. Of most, most people would, I think enjoy it by, by and large. Yeah. Um, all right. So, I'm going to pass back to Connor as we're kind of wrapping up. I mean, um, it's been an honor to get the third (laughs) and best of the film stage show on with us. Um, I think, you know, we we always say, what do we want to see from her next? It's a little weird, obviously, given the quarantine of it all. The French Dispatch will come out. So that's obviously, I think we're all probably looking forward to another Wes Anderson movie. So in this case, she's made something that we're all looking forward to. any other kind of final thoughts on Sersha as we kind of fade out? No, I mean, I, she's, I believe, the youngest person we've covered, uh, the youngest career we've covered. I think it's a testament to her that, you know, we're able to talk about it so fully uh, despite her, her age. Uh, to your point um, earlier, Bill, I mean, she's, she's made a lot of movies. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think her star is only going to continue to rise. I would obviously... I would be down for any future collaborations with Greta Gerwig. Um, I think they work obviously amazingly together. I would also be down for any future collaborations with Florence Pugh. I think they have a one. (laughs) I would almost love to see a movie with them, uh, with the two of them playing off each other, maybe in sort of a reversal of, of what we saw in little women, even though obviously they did that very well. Um, Just because I think, Sorsha could have also just as easily been an, a wonderful Amy um, in, mm-hmm. in that regard. Totally. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think I, I, to my point earlier, I, I'm down for anything I see her in uh, just because she's proven that, uh, you know, whether it's solely her or she's managed by some really wonderful people, uh, she seems to have really great instincts Um both in as a professional and as a performer. So I Bill I'll, Bill just wants Brooklyn too. That's what yeah, Bill wants. Brooklyn the Deuce. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um that said, uh Bill, where where can people find you? Uh you can find me on Twitter. I, I don't 
I honestly don't tweet too much. Um, it's at cable BFG. Uh, BFG are my initials. I'll let you fill in the blanks there. <laughs> um, and you can also find me on uh, the Film Stages uh, Slack channel. Um, I don't write as much, do reviews ever since I started doing podcasts. Uh, I just I love this format, and so um, that's that's where I kind of want to keep my home right. so yeah up on the slack channel if if you become a patreon yeah. supporter of uh the film stage show you get access to our slack channel where uh we constantly talk about movies and other yeah, bullshit there's a so lot it's a lot, lot of, of chatter on that slack channel a lot of chatter i love it yes well dan where can we find you at dj mecca is my twitter handle mm-hmm. and um obviously on the film stage i should have a review of the movie The High Note coming out with uh, I believe oh, Dakota Johnson. You know what that movie? You know what that movie seems like? Tell me, Dan McAcore. <laughs> yes, hopefully I have not watched it yet. But I, if you're listening, hopefully the review's out and it's positive. Hopefully, and um, yeah, and obviously here at uh, the B side, where we're at at TFS B side on Twitter. Yes, Twitter and Facebook. You can find us there. Um, you can, uh, yeah, feel free to obviously rate, review, subscribe. If you like what you're hearing, we're going to be putting some stuff up in the near future just to kind of uh, gauge interest in, in certain beast people's B sides we've been tossing around in terms of people we're going to cover. We just obviously cleared 50 episodes. So, you know, we'll, we'll be looking forward to the next 50 and, um, we'll put, uh, some of our thoughts out in the ether in terms of who we might want to cover. If there is somebody, uh, listener that you would like us to cover, feel free to tweet at us. Let us know. Um, we, uh, we have a couple things dancing around that could be, I think really fun. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. Like Dan said, this this podcast at TFSB side. Um, you can also currently catch us doing the Cinephile Game Nights, um, which we've been doing for charity. Uh, as of this recording, we did our uh, our Leonard Malt. We had Leonard Malton on, which was really super. Hell yeah, of a it was lineup. super super cool. We have some other people coming up that may have already happened by the time you listen to this, but that's been a lot of fun. So you can find us there. And uh, other than that, we will all keep trucking along in Sorsha a better tomorrow. <laughs>